to be here with you. Hopefully you enjoyed that worship this morning. Um, one of these days we'll get a guitarist and it'll be so much better. But uh, <laughs> uh, It's good to be here with you. You know this statement, you are here, there's times in life when it is, that's a really nice thing to hear, isn't it? You are here. When you need to know the answer to that question. I remember a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in uh, the country of Turkey, and we were traveling there, and we were driving a car kind of across the country, and we were heading to a town called Pamaluke, and so I looked it up on the map, found the directions, and, and so we drove, we were driving there, and we saw these big tour bus on the road, and they all said Pamaluke on the side, so we're like, okay, we're going the right way, and um, so we got there into the street that went into it, uh, we turned, we went in, and as soon as we got off the road, the road became a dirt road very quickly, and became very kind of um, non-touristy. And we were in a small little village, and there was only two people outside of one little kind of convenience store, if you could call it that, and it was all kind of brick and mud buildings and dust and dirt. And we realized that this probably is not the Pamaluke we're going for. And it was times like this when, the question, or when we would like someone to be able to say, you are here. And... You want to be here. And, and it turns out in Turkey, Turkey, there's two towns called Pamaluke. We chose poorly. Uh, we made it to the wrong one. But a- after a little while, we saw that and we just, you know, thank goodness for technology, pulled out the smartphone and paid about $100 in data. But when you're the husband lost in Turkey, that is $100 well spent. So <laughs> quickly we pulled it up and found the directions and learned the answer of you are here, you want to be here, and more importantly, this is how you get here where you mean to go. So the whole purpose of this series that we're going over right now, called You Are Here, it's a seven-week series, we're in week two, is the idea of in our spiritual lives, we want to answer the question or make the statement, you are here, spiritually speaking. And, And we know that there is no actual barometer or measurement for spiritual life, but roughly speaking, where are you? Where do you want to go? And the series is to introduce ideas that will help us get where we want to go. Now, as a church, our desire is that we become people who are far from Christ, or seeking to know, or maybe even exploring Christ, to knowing Christ, all the way to becoming Christ-centered people. Meaning we want to move towards people who our whole lives are kind of about us and trying to answer the question, what is in it for me? to the point where we become Christ-centered and say, how can we live our lives in a way that joins in the mission of God and advances the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of me? And so our whole idea is, what are some of the steps or the tools that will help us move along in the process? So the purpose of this seven weeks and what we'll explore today is where we are, where do we want to go, how are we going to get there? And so today we're going to just look at a couple practical things towards the end of the service that we believe are good tools that will help us move forward. forward. But before we begin, let's pray. God, we thank you again for this morning. I thank you uh, just for all the blessings you pour out in our lives. And I pray, God, that this morning that you would speak to each of us. And if there's anyone here that maybe does not yet know you, that you would speak to them. And for those who maybe have been journeying and following you for many years, God, that you would speak 
and allow us all to see you more clearly and move towards more Christ-centered living. So we thank you for this time and we give it to you now and trust that this is about you and not us. In your name, amen. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you are new to Scripture, that's in the New Testament. If you find the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you got Acts and then Romans. We're in chapter 12. If you use a digital Bible, so much easier. You just go to Romans 12. But I will be looking out there to make sure there's no Flappy Bird going on. So, um, okay, good. A few people know what Flappy Bird is. I'm sure this section over here knows. So I, I've watched them listen to my sermons before like this. That's... I know you're not finding verses when you do that. Okay. So as you go to Romans chapter 12, first, before we can even get there, I want to do a quick review of what last week Pastor Dale taught us. Because Romans chapter 12 begins with a very important word that says, therefore. And we want to answer the question, what is the therefore? Therefore. And Romans chapter 12, Dale taught us last week, was a therefore of all the previous chapters that essentially tells the story of what we call the good news of Jesus. And the good news as laid out in Romans is this. It begins and says, we live in a world that's filled with sin. And each of us are affected by it. In fact, we're affected by it and we participate in it all the time. The world is filled with sin and that's the way it is. We are all sinners. We are all sinners who cannot save ourselves. So then we learned that we need God's forgiveness. Jesus Christ comes to give us forgiveness through his death, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. He conquered sin and death, and now we have a chance to be forgiven. The only thing that we can do to offer to God is offer him our faith. We don't have anything else. It's not about us. It's what God's grace poured out, his kindness that's given to us as part of the gospel message. Once we've accepted that forgiveness and received that forgiveness, we can then learn that Jesus provides what we need for our identity. That our sufficiency is found in Him. It's not in ourselves and in our fallen state and in all of our struggles. It's in continually turning to Jesus and remembering what He has done, remembering what He has done and what that makes us as forgiven children of God. We have a new identity in Christ. The past is no longer true about you. Everything that you believe that the world has told you or that you tell yourself in relating to your old self, is over. And the gospel tells us you are new and you have a new identity that is secure. Because of all that, therefore, we looked at last week, in light of God's mercies, in light of all of His great riches, in light of the truth that He has poured out to us, undeserved, in light of that, we now therefore can present ourselves as living sacrifices. Holy and blameless before the Lord. We present ourselves because of what God has done. That is what brings us up to where we are today. So join me now as we look at verse 2 of this. Therefore, because of everything God has done, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, the way we live our lives before God. And now we get into some practical things here in verse 2. Let's look at this here. It says, Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, to really start to understand these, we need to know just a tiny bit of context here. And in the Greco-Roman world, the idea of kind of 
understanding who you are, almost like self-realization, was a big deal for them. It was a big deal to kind of be able to have self-mastery. It was a high moral ethic. And Paul leads up with all of Romans and saying, it's not about what you can find in yourself. It's about the righteousness of Christ given to you. It's very different than anything you can find within. And that is the context that you need to see this. And Paul is saying, once you understand that we're looking at what Jesus does in you, then this starts to make sense. See, in the Greco-Roman world, self-mastery over your actions was kind of a high moral ethic. Not many people participated in it, but it was trying to master your behavior. And Paul is saying, yeah, there is a part of behavior mastery that we want as Christians, but it's not the same reason. The reason is because we, because of what God has done, let's live up to who we already are. The context that he has that, now he says, so don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. This is a, it seems pretty easy on the surface and actually is in some ways. This, he's actually saying don't conform to the patterns of this age, so the world that we live in, the, the times that you live in. We see this word used again in the New Testament. In 1 Peter, Peter uses it. So let's look there to kind of get some more understanding. I have this verse for you up here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed, that's the exact same word there, to the former lusts which were yours and your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Now, Peter and even Paul, when they write this, they know when they say, be holy as God is holy, they know that that is a standard that we will all fail at attaining. They know that. That's the whole gospel message. You can't attain this. But they also don't shy away from saying, but this, we want to be holy. We want to be set apart before God. But notice how he starts. Do not conform. And I like the way he says it. Prepare your minds for action. Both Paul and Peter talk about the importance of your mind. The way you think transforms how you behave. Focusing on the grace of Jesus. And then do not be conformed to the former lusts. First question for you this morning is, or what are the things that you struggle to conform to that are the patterns of this world? As a follower of Christ, are there things that you say, I know I keep slipping in to a pattern of the world that probably is not the pattern that Jesus calls me to? I was thinking in my life, and, and I could spend all morning telling you all the ways that I struggle with conforming, but I'll spare myself from doing that. But I know in some of the areas, there's one area, I, 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 I enjoy money. I know I stand alone in Encinitas of the only one who does. So it won't totally relate. But, um, but I enjoy money. And I, I think my wife and I, we live pretty simply. We, you know, we rent our home. We have cars that are old and paid for. And we're actually very okay with that. We really are. Those kind of things are fine. I don't struggle with money in that way. But I love watching my investments. Now, that's not a bad thing. And by the way, when I say watching my investments, some of you in... in, in we have a very different idea of what that means. But, you know, to each is given their measure of faith. So I have my investments, and I love watching them. I love seeing how much they grow. And I, I love thinking about, man, if I could just get one more percent out of it this year. One more this year than that last year. 
Now, is that a bad thing? Of course not. I think all of you would agree. You would love to see all of our investments grow. If we can keep up last year's pace, I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) But I know for me, I start to conform when I start looking at those numbers and think, oh, just a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. Then that'll be great because then if it's a little bit more, then we can see if we can get a little bit more. (laughs) Is that bad? No. But I start to find I spend so much time looking at that number. So much time wanting that to be something that will define us someday we'll have this much. I know too when I pull into this gas station I always use here in Encinitas, they often have the lotto ticket taped to the the thing outside and it says the, the jackpot of the day. And when I see that every time, I know my thought isn't like, oh, why would anyone ever do that? I start going like, okay, if only, let's see, taxes and then pay out up front, I could have this much money, that would be great. And I've had like half of it spent before I finish, you know, pumping my gas. And again, is that bad? Not necessarily until I start thinking, God, if only I had that. Wouldn't that be great? In fact, Lord, I will buy a ticket if, let's make a deal. I'll totally give you a third of it. (laughs) No questions asked. (laughs) And in my mind, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and it does, I think. But I think the Lord's just like, yeah, Ryan, no chance. Not you. Not you. But I start to think, well, just, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if I just had that? all of a sudden, everything else would be better. Or then I would have what I need. When I've always had what I need. My kids have never missed a meal. We've always had a place to live. We really have a great place to live. And we live in San Diego, for crying out loud. How could we need more? Sometimes I find my mind slipping into that and conforming to the patterns of the world. As I said, I could continue, but for my sake, let's move on. (laughs) So he says, do not conform. So look in your heart and say, what are the things that you know you keep slipping into and saying, if only I had this. If only I could do this. Or if only I could be this. Or maybe I am this and you have all kinds of justifications of why. When you start justifying your actions, you probably know that you're conforming, not transforming. So he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world. Be very aware of of what you're thinking of, what you're fixing your mind on. And he goes on and he says, and instead of being conformed to the world, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed here is used twice in the New Testament. And it's a word metamorphosis. It really means to be changed from the inside to the outside. It's the same word we would use for a caterpillar going into a cocoon and being metamorphosed and changed entirely into something new. And when it comes out as a butterfly, it has been completely transformed into something different. This is the word that Paul uses here to say you need to be metamorphosis. You need to be changed just as a caterpillar would be and come out something completely new. And do that by the renewing of your mind. Now, we see that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes this, But we all, with unveiled faces, Beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, so as if we're looking in the mirror, we see the glory of God, we're being transformed, that's that same word, metamorphosis, into the same image, the glory of the Lord. 
from glory into glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, as followers of Christ, when we look into the mirror, we should see the image of God, the divine image of God. We don't see a fallen, hopeless sinner. We see a redeemed saint. How many of you this morning woke up, you looked in the mirror and said, man, I see a redeemed, beautiful saint. How many of you, when you woke up and you turned to your spouse and said, look, a redeemed, beautiful saint, that they said, that's right, that's what I see. Yeah, yeah, a couple of you. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) They just got back from the couple's retreat, apparently. All right. (laughs) Yeah, Paul reminds us and said, we want to be transformed from the inside out. And in ever-increasing likeness of Jesus. In other words, each day we live as followers of Christ. We want to look more and more like Jesus. Now some of you who maybe are new in your faith, it's probably not too difficult to see a change from maybe a year ago. Maybe in this last year you've become a Christian. You say, I can tell you every area of my life where I look more like Jesus now than I did a year ago. All those rough edges are being knocked off, and it's really obvious to you. And praise God for that. In fact, in our church community alone, last week we had four people accept Christ in their lives. It's just great news. Lives being transformed. And my guess is this week, everything looks different. What about those of you who have been following Christ a long time? It becomes more difficult, doesn't it? You look back, and if I ask you the question, how are you different this year than you were a year ago? How are you more Christ-like? Sometimes it's hard to answer that question. But biblically speaking, we should be metamorphosis. We should be transformed from the inside out into ever-increasing likeness of Jesus. Meaning, more and more, we should begin to look like Jesus. So, if you don't look more like Jesus this year than you did a year ago, it's time to examine your heart, your life. Now you might say, well, I already attained Jesusness a year ago. I'm already at the top. <laughs> and we know this. Here's just a little biblical truth. When you are perfected and you're just like Christ or you, you, you have no more sin you have to deal with, then you can rest assured that you're dead and you're in heaven. Okay? So if you're here with us this morning and you're sitting next to people who are not perfect, good news, you're still alive. <laughs> We're always on that journey. So what is it for you? Are you learning to be more gracious than you were a year ago? Are you understanding forgiveness maybe a little bit more? Are you understanding the need to maybe not sit on the throne of God and you allow Him to be on the throne? Are you learning what it means to trust a little bit more than you did a year ago? And life will teach us these things, does it not? One of the things my wife and Joy is each month we get to hang out uh, at a lunch with our senior adults in this church One thing we love about it is because it's a group of people who've kind of seen a lot of life. And there's just no image, nothing worried about games. They're just there to say, we accept and love you guys, each other, because, hey, we've seen enough life to know that there's a lot of stuff we don't need to worry about anymore. We love that. That's called becoming more Christ-like. When we see the way Jesus interacted with people, there's not a whole lot. There's some pretty messed up people Jesus hung out with including his own disciples. In fact, a lot of us could not tolerate his disciples. We couldn't. But somehow Jesus understood how to graciously walk with people, how to be firm when he needed to, but how to teach, 
how to show them time and again what God's grace looks like. What it means to be on the process of being transformed. Can you extend that same grace to others? Is that how you're being transformed this year? What is it for you that you're learning and growing in? And if you say, no, I have the same habits I've always had, then maybe it's time to look at some of those habits. In our uh, recent Rudy group, someone made this great comment. He said, we were talking about driving in traffic. And I always use traffic examples because most of us can relate pretty well to that. And he said, you know, traffic gives us a lot of great opportunities to practice Christian ideas. (laughs) It's a great statement, isn't it? So I kind of sometimes look at how I drive as kind of a metaphor for being transformed into the image of Christ. (laughs) See, there was a time when I'd drive and anyone who'd cut me off, it's like, I mean, they're clearly an idiot, for one. They clearly don't know how to drive. And they clearly, every time the light turns green and they don't move yet, clearly that's how they always drive. And they're just, I can't believe them. They made me wait three seconds. Can you believe it? And, and people who drive too slow in the fast lane and too fast in the slow lane, all idiots, all of them. And the amazing thing is, I am not And I've never done any of those things when I drive, ever. And so it was hard for me to really relate to all these people who just never went to the same fine driving institute I went to, apparently. You see, I used to look at the world through the eyes of everyone else. Something's wrong with them, but I'm not wrong. And then you do something like cut someone off, just being, not paying attention. And you cut someone off, you realize... I am so grateful they're still on the road right now. Or you didn't see someone crossing the road and you slam on your brakes the last minute and go, I'm so grateful that somehow God put his angels and stopped my car because I just about did something really stupid. And as you go, you start to realize maybe not everyone's an idiot. Maybe that was the one moment they had. Now, we're not talking about traffic this morning. We're talking about learning to be transformed. See, as we go through life, we start to have a different perspective. And we see that all of us as followers of Christ are one step away from being the same failure or sinners that we see around us. See, as we grow older, we realize that there but by the grace of God go I. And we can interact with people with more grace. When we're being transformed into the image of God, pieces of our lives are chipped away. And I do believe that Christians should be the best drivers to hang out with on the street. (laughs) We really should be. We really should be. So we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And and when he says transformed here, he's using a word that also says keep being transformed. It's not something that happens when you say yes to Jesus and then you're done. It says keep on being transformed. He writes again in Ephesians chapter 4. Now this process of being transformed, he says this, in reference to your former way of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he goes on to say, And put on your new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. In other words, the process of being transformed is remembering we got to put away the old self, put on the new. It's a process of saying, Everything about how I used to be, the way I used to drive, the way I used to be super judgmental, the way I used to think that I had all the answers and no one else did, put those away and put on the new self. The way you interact with your spouse or your kids, very irrational or impatient, keep putting that away and putting on the new self. Now, does that old self sneak in? Of course it sneaks in. It will always sneak in. 
but being transformed by the renewing of our mind is saying we make a decision we want to put aside the old self. Keep putting it aside, remembering your new self, your new identity, who you really are in Christ. And know that there's times when you're going to blow it. You're going to just make some mistakes. Some of you are in here this morning and you think, Ryan, I've tried to put on my new self time and again and you don't know me. You don't know the struggles I have. You don't know how guilty I feel, how much shame I feel because I just can't get it right. In those moments, we need to be reminded of more words in Scripture here. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, Paul is writing... And I love what he says here. It's a reminder. I think we have it up for you. There we go. You've not received a spirit of slavery or of bondage, leading to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If we're his children, we're heirs. And we're heirs of God. We're fellow heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, we may be glorified with him. He's saying, your new identity You need to remember, even in your failures, that you are a child of God. Because you're going to mess up. And those are the times you need to go back and say, wait a minute, does that define me? Or what defines you is who you are in Christ. You know, as a pastor, uh, you all have expectations of me. You have expectations of my wife and kids as well. And those are a little unfair, so I ask you not to do that. They didn't bring it upon themselves. I brought this upon myself. So I understand that. But you have expectations of me and what you want from me, what you need me to do, how you want me to be superhuman sometimes. And I want to make a promise to you. Here's my promise to you as a pastor. I promise that I will at some point let you down. (laughs) And I always keep my promises. (laughs) You see... I know in me, I can't meet all the expectations that sometimes you have. I want to. Believe me, my expectations for myself are higher than yours. I know, I think I can can do whatever you need done. I think I can always be operating at a high level. I think I can always be spiritually up here and above sin and all that stuff, but I know I can't do it. I know that there's times when you're expecting me to even do something for you that I won't. It's not because I don't want to. I'm just human. I'm going to let you down. But in those moments, see, and another thing about being a pastor is uh, people often, uh, how do you say it? Tell pastors what they think about them. <laughs> I also coach baseball, and that's the other role. You know, teachers, coaches, pastors, we tend to get a lot of feedback, um, unsolicited, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and in those moments, it's very difficult to not receive that and to let that define me. It's hard. It's something I've always struggled with, and I always will. Because then I'll replay everything in my mind. What did I do wrong? How can I fix it? How can I be better? How can I never do that again? And sometimes there's things that I need to learn from. I get that. But there's times that there are things that just aren't true that have been said. And I can choose to let that define me, or in those moments I say, if I'm praying, if I'm seeking the Lord, if I'm following Him from the purity of my heart and something is said about me, I have to go back to time and again, God, what is true about me? I am your child. As a child of God, it means that all the former relationships are canceled out and my new status is secure. I am His child. I actually don't need my sufficiency in your approval. 
I'm human. I like approval. I don't like disapproval. That's the way life goes. But there's times I have to remember my identity. Sometimes it has nothing to do, do with you. It has to do with me. Saying, I'm letting myself down. And the enemy would love for all of us to think that you can't possibly live as a follower of Christ. You're going to keep failing. The enemy wants us to believe that. And in those moments, when metamorphosis, when transformation seems difficult, we need to remember, wait a minute, my identity as a child of God. I have three kids. I want them to be perfect. I have high expectations of them. And every once in a while, they let us down. Pretty much when we're ever near them. And so... (laughs) that doesn't affect their identity that they're my, child, my children. And I love them, and I'll always be there for them. I want them to change certain things. We're going to encourage it. But their identity is secure. Your identity as a follower of Christ is very secure, even when you fail. The process of transformation begins with understanding that. And sometimes it continues as we remember, that's right, I'm God's child. The great thing about that too is that when we remember who we are, we can live what's true of us. I've used the example before, but it bears repeating, that when I became a father, it was the very first time I had a change of diaper. Because I figured before that, it's not my fault your kid pooped, all right? Once I had my own kids, I thought, okay, I better learn how to do this. Because what do dads do? They care for their kids. They change diapers. They do things like that. They wake up in the middle of the night and hold their kid. They do all those kind of things. When I became a father, I began doing those things. Now, if I don't do those things, guess what? I am still a father. That's the way it is. But I do those things because I am a father. When we remember identity in Christ, We remember, we want to live for Christ, not because it makes us into God's child, but because we are God's child, so therefore we want to live as God's children. The process of being transformed is remembering who we are so we can live what's already true of us. The difference is important. If you're living out what's true of you, that doesn't make you who you are. You're already that. Okay, better move on. The end of that, he says, if you do this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can test what the will of God is. His will is good, perfect, and pleasing or complete. And just know, a little side note there, those are actually not adjectives in the Greek. They're, they're nouns. Saying, so God's will is a good thing for you. God's will is a perfect thing. God's will is complete for you. So when we start to be transformed and start living the ways of Jesus and become more in his likeness and follow his ways, that actually is a good thing for life. It's a perfect thing for life. It's a pleasing thing for life. Even when the will doesn't feel good, it's a good thing, is what he says. And as we become more and more like Jesus, we can experience that. Now, The big question is this. Okay, Ryan, we know it's important that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind to understand this metamorphosis. What does that mean? So what are some things that help in that process? How can we renew our minds? We're just going to give you a couple principles today that we believe as a church are really important. First one is this, and it's in your notes if you like notes. If you don't, I'm going to say it. First one is this. 
we want to be people who orient our lives around Scripture. Get to know the Word of God. Get to know what's in Scripture. We believe that the more we can understand Scripture and orient our lives around the principles we learn, that it helps us renew our minds. It helps us to think a new way. It helps us to see the world in a new way. If you've ever read Scripture, you'll read about a couple thousand years, three or four thousand years of history of people trying to follow God who are just as messed up as we are. And it's great. I love that the Bible doesn't hide how messed up people are who are the heroes of the faith. I love that King David is a man after God's own heart and he's an idiot. (laughs) It gives me hope. (laughs) See, we orient our lives around Scripture and we start to see what our true identity can be. We can say, oh, you still love these kind of people. Oh, you still have, you've been working with people from the very beginning and shaping them and changing them. Maybe you read through the Psalms and you see people pouring out desperation saying, God, where are you? Have you ever related to that question? It's in scripture. God, why have you left? Have you ever said that? Yeah, that's in the Bible. God, I need hope. Or those moments you say, God, you are so good. It's in scripture. Maybe you said, God, is life even worth living? Oh yeah, the greatest, one of the greatest prophets in the Hebrew faith said that. God, I don't even want to live anymore. Can you relate? See, that's why we orient our lives around Scripture. We start to see that this story is about our big God. And we get to participate in this story about our big God. It's exciting. We start to learn about Jesus and we see how he interacts with sinners. We see how he interacts with holy people. We see how he interacts with disciples who are trying to figure life out. We see Jesus get tired sometimes, get frustrated, but how he interacts in that. If you want to know where to begin in reading scripture, I recommend, if you have never done it, start, <clears throat> excuse me, start in the New Testament. Read about the life of Jesus. Start looking at that and asking yourself, if I lived this way or responded to my coworkers the way Jesus does, how would that be different? If I interacted with my kids, with the forgiveness and grace that Jesus does, how would that look different? If I ran my business the way I see instructions in Scripture, how would that be different? Orient your life around Scripture. If you've never opened the Bible except for Sunday mornings, try it once this week. We even send you a date. We send you five times a week. We send you an email with uh, verses. Just read those verses. Read a psalm a day. It doesn't matter. There's no formula. Just begin to engage with Scripture. Some of you say, I hate reading. I don't read. Guess what? We have a great thing called the Bible on tape, or I guess tape is no longer what it would be. Bible digitally. (laughs) You can download it. You can listen to it on your commute. That's just as spiritual as reading it, believe it or not. (laughs) Fill your mind with scripture. Even if, have you ever read a piece of scripture and at the end you're like, I just, I know I just read two pages, but I can't tell you one thing I just read. (laughs) I do that all the time. I'm like, can I still count it, God, as my reading for the day? I mean, (laughs) I even think that that's healthy. Fill your mind with Scripture. So orient your life around Scripture. And then the other one, and and by the way, when we do that, the more we start put those principles we learn into practice, then Scripture becomes more real, too. When you say, you know what, I'm going to try to forgive this relative that I do not want to forgive, but I've been reading about forgiveness, so I'm going to try to apply it. Nothing will make you love Scripture more than trying this stuff out and going back and saying, wait, 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 let me see how that worked. 
because now they think that I'm soft or now they're really taking advantage of me. Maybe you'll learn that God himself was taken advantage by people. Just saying. So orient your life around scripture. Next one is this, communicate with God in prayer. Communicate with God in prayer. We believe that it's really important. Now, as you journey with Christ, we believe the more you become Christ-centered, you probably, not always, but your prayer life could move from more like, God, please help me, which we've all prayed that prayer, (laughs) to, Lord, how can I advance your kingdom? I believe as you move on in your journey, more and more your prayers become more about God's kingdom and less about yours. But, that's just in general, we all have those moments. But God wants to hear from us. Now, prayer does not have to be an hour on your knees in prayer. I don't know if you've ever tried that before, but I've done an hour on my knees in prayer, and I've woken up 55 minutes later with lines on my forehead, a little bit of drool coming down, went, I meant to, God, I meant to pray. I didn't mean to fall asleep. Some of us can't do the hour in prayer very well. Some of you, you're like, lightweight. (laughs) I start off every day with two hours. What's wrong with you? I don't know. It's just the way God made me. My identity is secure. (laughs) The way I like to pray is I pray throughout the day. My prayers are, God, my kids are going off to school today. Can you protect them? Would you fill them with your spirit? Help them hear from you. God, help me make a decision. Help me, you know, just those things as I go throughout the day. That's as spiritual as I can get when it comes to prayer. God wants to hear from us. Start where you need to start. Try different types of prayers if you want. There's no formula. The other thing in prayer is this, and I would encourage you to take time to listen every once in a while in prayer. You ever been, have you ever been in a conversation with someone who, it's a great one-way conversation? <laughs> They talk and talk and talk, and at the end you're just like, I didn't hear the last half. (laughs) Let's not be like that with God. Take Take time every once in a while to listen. Now, I've never had God say, Ryan, sit down, let's talk. (laughs) I want to tell you some things. I wish that would happen. I wish I'd get a letter from heaven that says, Ryan, here's what you're going to do the next year. I'd be like, done, I'll do it. I don't want any prank letters, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But, I haven't had that. But we have had times when my wife and I would say, hey God, we really believe that maybe we should take this job. Should we take it or not? And I haven't had say God say, uh, yes, you should. So then we pray, okay, we think we should take this job. If you don't want us to take the job, can you just close the door? Make it not work out? Because we don't have enough wisdom to know yes or no. Just We're saying yes, you got to say no. And there have been times when we just looked at each other and said, there's something wrong, we're not going to do that. And there's times when we took a step out and went, I think yes, I think yes. And God might have been saying, I really don't care, sure. (laughs) But he didn't say no. (laughs) That's how we pray. But we take time to listen, ask those questions. One thing to conclude with, I'm going to ask the worship team to start making their way up. In verse 3, he transitions into a new section. And he says this, he says, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think to have sound judgment, as God has allotted each to a measure of faith. 
it's really important that we end as Paul transitions and he says, you know, we're talking about being transformed, not being conformed. Then he says, but hey, don't think too highly of yourselves or more than you ought to. He ends with a warning that says, this is kind of about you and your process of metamorphosis and changing. And really, it's not about you measuring everyone else's process. Don't start thinking too highly of yourself. Because as soon as you start thinking you have it figured out and no one else does, guess what? You can rest assured you're probably wrong somewhere. This plays out and as you look at someone else, say their prayer life isn't good enough. Their Bible knowledge isn't good enough. Maybe, oh, they interpret that passage wrong, but I know it. I've got it right. Oh, I can't believe that church believes this, and we all believe that. They don't understand. Can you believe these Christians vote for this side of the aisle? How could you? Christians only vote this way. Don't think too highly of yourself. He says, you know what? Worry about being transformed, becoming in the image of Christ. Each, God has given each a measure of faith. We're all on our own journey. We're figuring this thing out. You can encourage each other. If you see someone else in sin, you can encourage them. You can talk to them about it. But don't do it from a place like, if only you could be like me. Then you would be something. At that point, you know God's just gone, oh, seriously, again? The greatest example we have of how to follow Christ and become Christ-like is from Jesus himself. We're in a moment going to take communion. And when we take communion here at this church, we do this to remember not only the death and resurrection of Jesus, but remember his life. And so in just a moment, we're actually going to play a video clip that will get us thinking about our transformation. But then what we're going to do is we have one and a half songs, two songs, to go and there's four tables to go take communion. We have uh, a little bread. It's gluten-free, by the way. And then juice. Go up and take the bread and the cup. Take it at your own pace. You can take it with someone else. You can pray with someone. You can take it alone if you need it. To remember the life and example of Jesus. And remember that his body was broken for you. And his blood was poured out so we can have a new identity in him. And everything you need has been done and accomplished in Christ. That's what we remember. We can't talk about being changed without saying, Jesus has made this possible. So as we end our time, we're going to watch a video clip, and then when the song begins, then go take communion at your own pace, and we'll end our time together. One more thing is maybe this morning you're saying, hey, I'd just like a little prayer. We have some people here that want to pray for you this morning, and they're going to be kind of up in this corner near the cross. If you want to go pray with them, nobody's going to be staring at you and saying, I wonder what they need prayer for. If you want prayer, there's some great people who want to pray with you this morning. They'll be over there. They'd love to just pray with you, answer any questions, or just be there with you this morning in this process. So let's watch this video clip, then we'll take communion on our own at the tables.